Welcome to WeAreTechnology.com's User-Friendly 2.0 with host Bill Sickens, Technology Architect. And this is User-Friendly 2.0. I'm your host, Bill Sickens. Gretchen, Bill, welcome to the show. Hello. Hi there. So we've got an interesting show that's coming up for you this week. We're going to be talking about something called the Comstock Paranormal Summit. We're going to be looking at some of the technology. These are ghost hunters. They're starting to do an annual show in Virginia City, Nevada, which seems like a good place for something like that. Virginia yeah, City is a really yeah, haunted, <laughs> cool living ghost town. If you've never been there, if you can make it, I highly recommend it. But they're doing this setup, and it's kind of interesting to see what they came up with on that. And then the second half of the show, we're going to be talking about jobs, technology, and entertainment, and pretty much everywhere else, and some of the things that are going on. And AI is starting to make an appearance in that area as well. And we also have a guest who has a very interesting company that he set up to be able to help out small businesses that need positions like a chief technology officer that may not be able to hire somebody that would be $200,000 a year, but still need the role to be filled. So going to be looking forward to that coming up a little later here in the show. And uh, I think that, uh, you know, looking at kind of the weeks that we have coming up ahead here, we're going to have some other guests and we're getting a lot more people in with a lot more variety of topics. So this has been kind of fun. Let us know what kind of things you would like to hear about. We've got a new format. We actually have a lot more time to be able to talk to people. So we just need to know what uh, what would be good to put in there. Check us out online. Userfriendlyshow.com is our website. We relaunched it this year. There's all kinds of good information out there. You can play the back episodes. You can get the most current information. And you can check out Tech Wednesday. So we hope to see you there. And let's go ahead and take a moment and go to our sponsor. And then we will go to our interview on the Comstock Paranormal Summit. Mosaic Arts Loft. Come discover the mosaic difference with art lessons in drawing, painting, and clay pottery making. Contact us for a free studio tour and a buy four, get one free at mosaicsartsloft.com. We don't just make art, we build artists. Steve, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Bill. It's been a long time. It's good to have you back. Yeah, I've, um, I'm sorry for the absences. Like 2023 has just been um, on the quite the busy side, I have yeah, to say. Yeah, over, all the way around. And not just for you. It's been, a, it's been kind of a crazy year. And, uh, you know, some stuff getting back to normal, some not. But at least we're getting yeah. back to some events again. And I understand that you just got to check out something called the Comstock Paranormal Summit. It was amazing. So, so this yeah. is, I, and I see the first annual in the name. So tell us a little bit about what this is. And is this like a trade show or, or how would you describe it? Trade show. I, I would, I would refer to this as a, a very, very small conference that ha- happened to also have vendor tables. Okay. So yeah, the um, Comstock Paranormal Summit is a brainchild that evolved out of, interestingly enough, uh, two main paranormal investigation groups. <clears throat> one of them being Thin Veil Investigators, of which I'm a member. And the other one is the Northern Nevada Ghost Hunters, which is a 
rather large group in comparison to Thin Veil. They're like 30 plus members. I think Thin Veil investigators were like six or seven people. And um, both of them have been in existence since around 2005. And they have been actively uh, investigating and researching very active sites when it comes to paranormal energies, people, people would refer to as ghosts, and they, they investigate. They want to learn some of the energies, <clears throat> excuse me, they want to learn some of the energies that are inhabiting certain dwellings throughout northern Nevada. And uh, Virginia City, of course, is a very, very hot spot. It always has been, uh, probably always will be. And these two groups came, they're friendly. The two groups came together. They sometimes do co-investigations. And they just came up with the idea of welcoming people to understand and learn about the paranormal. And they did it in the form of this summit, which was, it was quite wonderful. I really had a great time. So for any of our listeners that might not be familiar with all of this, um, paranormal investigation is something that's been around for a while. It's been growing in popularity. And some of the more national names are shows like Ghost Hunters and yes. stuff like that that have been around for a while. And, you, you know, we've some a lot of us have watched those and things in the past. But one thing that may not be known so widely is that in a lot of places, and you're talking about where you are down there in Reno and where we're recording up here in Portland, there's a lot of smaller groups that may not have a national television show, but that still work in these type of investigations and go out and try to see and discover and explain certain things that can't be explained. And we're talking about paranormal energy, ghosts, afterlife, all of that kind of thing. Sure. And I remember back, oh, I don't know, 10 years ago now or something, when we were all working together on doing a uh, test for a television pilot, we had done an interview with a group that had a lot of equipment and yes. all kinds of things. It was a fun thing. Is that one of the groups that's actually still behind this? Or are these new people that I haven't met yet? New folks. Okay. It's new folks. Yeah. When, um, when we were doing the television pilot for um, trying to feel out how user-friendly would work for TV, one of the groups we had um, that we did interview was the Paranormal Society of Northern Nevada. And they, um, that's actually one of the groups I did my first investigations with back in 2015. And certainly they had a number of wonderful handheld electronic devices that uh, are part and parcel to a, an investigator's handbag, if you will, or tool belt, probably is a better word. Uh, yeah, things like, like, like a, a, like a, a spirit box and a K2 meter and just things that um, measure paranormal energy in, in one way or another to suggest the presence of some kind of energy or a spirit. I know on the television shows, you see these things that project a grid. Um, uh -huh. you, you know, and yeah. like one that I think works by bringing in radio waves or something. And uh, so what is a spirit box? What is a K2 meter? What is, tell us a little bit about the equipment. Okay. So, the um, I'm not exactly sure how the with the with the K2 meter is truly measuring. I do know that it's a device that when it's turned on and there is the the presence of some kind of paranormal energy, it has a series of lights that travel from 
one type of color, I think it's like green to yellow to red, to measure the intensity of something that's with you. And so, um, in fact, it, it, it's funny, it kind of comes to mind way back when um, you were selling um, your family's home in northern Nevada near UNR. Uh, we did an investigation at your at your home and we had a k2 meter and it was we were in your your parents master bedroom and when one of the investigators had mentioned we were actually trying to connect with with your dad and when in the process of uh, doing that we had a k2 meter sitting on a uh, the uh, kitchen or i'm sorry the uh, bathroom sink countertop and my name was mentioned uh, while the investigator was trying to to connect, uh, the lights went crazy. <laughs> it, was, it was kind of it was almost like your dad was saying hello, um, because there had been no activity until my name had been mentioned by the investigator. Oh, Steve Mailer is here, and he you know he wants to know that he, he hopes that you're you're doing okay. And the lights just went crazy, and we actually caught that on film, which was interesting. <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, I I don't know exactly what it is that the K2 meter is measuring, to be honest. Now, in terms of the spirit box, that's essentially, it's almost like a radio scanner. It goes up and down frequencies, and you catch small pieces of whatever terrestrial frequencies are broadcasting in that area. And it works on the principle, if I understand correctly, of white noise, of like a, a cacophony of white noise. Whereas you're going through frequencies, you catch glimpses, you catch, you capture pieces of what's almost like an answer to a question. And I had one of the most chilling experiences. Um, this was after the, the day activities of the summit were over. We actually did three investigations uh, in Virginia City at three different locations. And at one of the locations was this God off a very gaudy um, 1970s, I think built cabin that was actually uh, like, a, I don't know if it was a bar and restaurant, but it was, it was a part of it was a bordello and uh, built by a, a person who was of, let's just say, Mob, well, possibly mob connected person of real ill refute, and uh, there were some really terrible things that happened at this in this building to to people who were working in the uh, not necessarily the adult industry, but the um, adult entertainment. Um, let's call them. Let's just call them escorts. And. Uh, there was a session that we did in there with a spirit box that I've never done before, which we did also catch on film, uh, which was very chilling because it was almost like I was having a conversation with several presences in, a, in one of the rooms, totally unexpected. And I, um, it's actually giving me goosebumps talking about it now because I remember very, very clearly how unnerving parts of it were because of how receptive and responsive the answers that we were getting. It was interesting. So uh, yeah, those hand tools do actually play a part in the process of 
um, ghost investigation or spirit investigation, if you will. Um, but there's another side to it. There's a there is actually a psychic side to it that is an important part of the equation. It really is. A lot of people discredit it. It's like, oh, psychic, blah blah blah. Well, I know work with several very talented ladies in Thin Veil Investigators that I truly believe sense and feel energies in a way that can sometimes physically harm them. So I, I consider it to be, I, it is, it's, it's a little unnerving. I consider it to be a very real part of the process. I don't discount it at all. Yeah. You know, and it, it's interesting because just from some of the comments you've been making, I know watching these type of things on television and we've talked about, you know, the shows and stuff, it's like, okay, you know, there could be a real side to it, but you never know it's television. So yes. you have to have a story. So it must be a very different experience to actually be involved in something like that versus just watching it or, you know, very watching what so. someone else has done. Yeah. In fact, um, because I've been involved in them, when I watch something on television, I find it either riveting or comical. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think that's a fair, <laughs> fair comparison. I agree with you there. Because okay. some, some of that stuff looks like it could very well be some type of genuine um, recording of some kind of essence. And other times I feel like I'm watching the investigators go um, absolutely crazy out of their mind of seeing a, a small floating feather pass by a camera lens, you know, because <laughs> you, you really have to put those things into perspective because, yeah. um, you know, shows and I don't, I certainly don't mean to discredit any of the shows that are out there because they are a guilty pleasure for me. I've watched them. I've enjoyed them. There's a very good reason that some of them are in their, you know, more than 12th and 13th season. It's because people want them back. And, and there was a whole glut of shows. Some didn't make it. But just the fact that there was a glut of shows and some shows are going season after season means that people are tuning in. And they tune oh, yeah. in well, because... I, I totally understand. I know... Yeah. Ghost Hunters is a, for example, that became a ritual for us. They always do this Halloween thing. And, and that's another part of it, too, is because when you, it airs on television, you, they fit it into their time slot, which is usually 30 or 60 minutes. Right. But the real investigation usually goes overnight and sometimes more yes. than just one night. Right. So you're actually dealing with hours and hours. So their Halloween thing, they aired live. So you actually could watch it in more of the sense. And I would say about 80% of it was very much, you know, uh, get the popcorn and have something else to do. But then you would have the moments that were, right. um, let's just say interesting. And, uh, you know, and these are hard calls to make because you have everybody all across the spectrum. You're going to have people that, uh, you know, they don't believe in any of this at all. And you're going to have people that are already predisposed that, Oh yeah, we definitely believe in it. We just want to look for something to back it up and then everything in between. Yes. So being able to catch and actually have some of this in a way that you can look at it independently, I think makes a big, big difference. And certainly, uh, you know, we've talked about some of the devices, uh, but also things just like good video cameras. And I would imagine infrared cameras and stuff like that would also be used. Hugely. For doing doing a, a ghost hunt. Have, yeah. That kind of technology and that end of things. What do you see from that standpoint? Because you're doing some just regular audio and video recording. And I know from what I've seen on some of the television shows, you can sometimes record stuff that you don't hear, but you hear it when you play it back. So there's right. some need for that too. Do you yeah. want to talk about that a little bit? 
Sure. So if we can go back to just the 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 Comstock uh, the Paranormal Summit for just a moment, I was initially brought on because I'm a Thin Veil investigator and we were co-hosting the event. I was brought in to essentially be the AV guy. Um, with my okay. with my background of working at the pepper mill, I kind of put together, pieced together a, a PA system. They didn't have one. So a microphone and a speaker so that people could actually hear the lectures. And then I also brought a camera to, to videotape or video record. It's not tape anymore, but video record the, the summit sessions, the lectures and, and what have you. And so that was initially my role. And then about a couple of weeks before the summit happened, one of the speakers that was part of Northern Nevada Ghost Hunters had to back out for health reasons. And they were scrambling, trying to find someone to step in and become a lecturer. Well, they tapped, they tapped on me. And my first response was, well, wait a minute. I'm not, I'm not a full-fledged investigator. I, I help document things. But I don't think that what I'm going to bring to something like this is going to have much value. And so my cohort, uh, Sandy Linnae, who has been a guest here several times as a, also an author and a ghost hunter, um, she said, no, 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 your, your experiences and your, your filming experiences would be wonderful to hear about. And so as I thought about it, I agreed with her. And so I became one of the lecturers. So what my lecture was actually on was exactly what you just asked me about. It was the types of cameras that I use, um, what seems to work well, what doesn't work so great. So it's interesting that, that, you, should, that you should bring that up, being that uh, I just lectured about it a week or so ago. <clears throat> so to answer the question, there, there definitely are, are processes involved in an investigation which one camera is going to lend itself better to another. If I'm sitting down with you, in fact, do you remember... You and I had an interview, a brief video interview, where I captured uh, some questions of you after we investigated your home. So the uh, a oh, camera yeah, like very much yeah, so, yeah. So a camera like that is going to typically be just a nice uh, broadcast quality, high definition TV camera. Uh, those do not lend themselves well to ghost investigation because unless they have an infrared filter or what we refer to as night shot um you're not going to be able to see much in a darkened room um which usually is how you're investigating you're not you don't typically investigate a room in extremely bright light um and so there's that type of camera another type of camera which you mentioned the infrared uh those are typically just like your uh your ring.com infrared you know monochromatic infrared security cameras right uh, you uh you've demonstrated in your own home some rather fascinating video that no one can explain that they've seen and um that it's actually going to be become part of a documentary that i'm producing about thin veil investigations and the things that we that they've been on um those infrared cameras are remarkable some of the best evidence that I've captured in the last eight years has been <clears throat> with a security and an infrared security camera, basically something that you post at your home 
that gives you a night vision view of what's going on outside. Well, it's captured some apparitions that um, I have absolutely not one clue how to explain and that are very, very plainly visible. You can't refute what it is that appeared on camera. So the, the infrared security cameras are quite wonderful, both in their sensitivity uh, to, to having no light um, and the images that they record, especially that they're all becoming, you know, 1920 by 1080 high definition cameras. So not only are you getting, you know, night vision shots, they're very high quality night vision shots. And some of the stuff that's on there, again, I, uh, I don't know exactly what it is that we recorded, but there's clearly something that's recorded and yet no one can explain what it is. And then well, there's yeah, also, and it makes yeah. a big difference because the days of the fuzzy image that you're not sure what it is are past because, yeah, yeah. like you say, everybody's recording in high definition. And a lot of this equipment is starting to be 4K now, too, which yes. adds even more, you know, of a layer yeah. to the yeah to all of that. So, you know, it just it's I don't know. It's, it seems like this is something that like everything else, technology is going to push things along and may finally answer some questions that uh, a lot of people are asking and don't really know. So. All right. Well, the Constop Paranormal Summit, Virginia City, held in June. So the second annual next year, I assume, will be in June. And obviously, when we know, we'll let you know. Yeah. But um, it sounds like this is great. And then just one other footnote I would like to say on this for anybody that does get to northern Nevada. Virginia City is worth the visit. It's a living ghost town, really a neat area. There's a lot going on, a lot of history, fun place to go. It is safe to bring the kids and all of that. Uh, they offer a, just a number of different things and have a wonderful ice cream shop. I hope it's still there. I, I Steve, think it thank is. Thank you for joining us this week. <laughs> this, this was a lot of fun. I mean, uh, and, I, and I know there's a lot more to talk about. Maybe we could do that in another session. But uh, yeah, this is this has been really exhilarating, and the whole the whole experience was very gratifying for me. Yeah, it sound it sounds like it. It sounds like it. Cool. Yeah. All right. Yeah, we'll pick it up a little later in the year. All right. Well, thanks again. Okay. So that's all very interesting. You know, every industry, I guess, has its own equipment. So let me ask you guys a question on another topic here. Have you ever seen a ghost, do you think? Yeah. 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 There's a lot of people that uh, definitely very much believe in paranormal activity. And I think that's a big reason why a lot of these groups are finding the success they are to be able to go out there and try to answer some of these questions. And, you know, like we talked about in the interview with Steve, there's some national shows that have been on television now for years that do quite well. So there's definitely a lot of interest. I like the tech side of it. I think it's kind of fun to look at these things that are being developed specifically for that. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. Check us out, userfriendlyshow.com, One User Friendly on Facebook and Twitter. These are the places you can go to submit your questions, your comments, your ideas. We really appreciate everything that is coming in and continues to. And yes, because a lot of people have been asking, we will be doing a Q&A again, even with the new format. That's going to be up and coming. I'm compiling everything for that, and we'll be presenting that at some point in the next couple of weeks. So today we're going to talk about jobs, tech industry, pop culture, entertainment, or wherever 
Jobs is definitely something that affects many of us. And like everything else, it seems like the last couple of years, things have been kind of strange, to put it mildly. With all of this, we've been hearing about all the layoffs and tech and all that kind of stuff. And as far as I can tell, you can still get hired just like you could a year ago. So even with all these layoffs, it doesn't seem to have affected that front too much. And on the other side of things, if we look at the entertainment industry right now, we've got the writer's strike. We're about to have the SAG union probably go on strike, uh, if it hasn't already, by the time we air. And dealing with jobs and all that kind of stuff has always been something that's been a little bit, um, I don't know, wonky might be the right word. Am I allowed to say that on the air? Wonky? Yeah, probably. Yes. So, you know, going back and looking at the way things were done in the past, it was like you could submit a resume and then whoever you would talk to would tell you to change the resume format. I don't know if you guys have ever experienced that. Yeah, over and over. Over and over. Yeah. And I ran into it too. And then you go to one place and, oh, yeah, you need to do it this way. If you do it that way, it won't work. And mm-hmm. the same thing the other way. Well, I'm going to be talking a little bit of today about a new wrinkle in this, and that is that AI is now starting to hire people. <laughs> okay. <laughs> And conduct interviews and stuff. So we're going to go through that and talk about what to expect there. One of the other things, too, on the whole resume front, if you go through a service like Monster or Indeed or one of those, what they're doing now is you insert the information, what would be in your resume into their system, and then they usually will automatically format it for the employer that you're applying to. So that has helped with that a little bit. But even though we're starting to maybe get that to a standard, we're seeing some of these other changes coming across the board. So as far as the job market as a whole is concerned, like I say, I'm still seeing a lot of opportunity back as much as a year ago in the technology, different disciplines and that entertainment's the same thing. If you look at a site like Backstage, there's still all kinds of options available. Right now with the writer's strike on, a lot of production is paused, but that doesn't mean that those jobs are going away. And it seems like if anything, that's still growing. All right, we're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsor, and then we're going to talk about jobs and AI. You work hard growing your business, but when it comes to marketing and branding, you simply don't have the time. You need a trusted partner to take on your advertising goals and produce results. Whatever your budget and deadlines are, Brian Kelly Digital Media is your trusted partner. We are ready to make your marketing and branding goals a reality. Your time is precious, and so is your advertising budget. Get more bang for your buck with Brian Kelly Digital Media. Schedule your free consultation today at 503-474-7885. That's 503-474-7885. So like we were just talking about, AI has been getting involved and it seems like pretty much everything lately. There's a rapid growth of this technology that I think was unexpected by a lot of the technology industry. And we've talked in the past about some of the concerns that are out there, some of the things that this type of technology will be able to do on both a positive and maybe a not so positive area. But one of the places we're seeing here, and this seems to be a really new phenomenon, at least as far as I can tell in the last couple of months, is that when you submit your resume for a job, it will be reviewed by an AI. So it never goes through a human process in a lot of these places. I don't know. What do you guys think about that? 
Are they trying to find like a neutral reviewer to keep people from being, I don't know. <laughs> that would be a very positive approach. I actually think it's more that they don't have the people or don't want to pay the people oh, to do this okay. component, which I, as an employer myself is a pain uh, sometimes to be, go through a lot of resumes and try to weedle that all down. I think that's more why where that's coming from. But I don't know, Bill, if you were applying for a job, would you prefer to have a human review your resume or an AI? Person. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let me tell you the next thing that's happening. In the initial interview, it's the AIs that are asking the questions. So you still might do a video interview or something of that nature, but the questions are coming from and the answers are being processed in a lot of cases now by an AI. So I have a question. Are you told that you are having a conversation with an AI? Or are they trying to hide that fact? It doesn't seem like they're trying to hide it. From what I've seen with this is you're either told straight out or you're not told. But it, in those cases, I, I haven't run into anything yet where it's like they're trying to make you think it's a real person. They just don't tell you anything at all. I, I'd rather be told, you know, because otherwise it seems almost dishonest. Because an AI is going to have a different reaction to things than a human. Right? Yeah. Just a little bit. And Bill, you're being very silent on this. Uh, would you want to interview with an AI? Or I guess I can guess your answer to this or a person. It definitely requires a human touch. I mean, literally being interviewed by an AI at this stage just reinforces the uh, you're a number, not an employee. I don't know about second interviews and all that kind of stuff. I think you actually seem in a lot of cases to still get to a real person there. One of the complaints that's coming out of this is the fact that a lot of applications, resumes, and so on are being blocked before they even get reviewed by anybody because of these that's systems. That's been going on for years, a yeah. long yeah. time. And it seems like it's it's getting even worse. So I don't know. You know, it's... Uh, I think AI can contribute a lot. I, I'm with you guys on this, though. I, I think in the actual interview process, maybe reviewing resumes, I don't know. Just being someone that sat on both sides of the table, I know that can be very time-consuming. But if you do, do use an AI for that, you would want to program the model to be able to understand everything that you needed to understand and not just yeah. cut people out. I, you know, I don't know how that would work. But well, that's what always it. got me about, you know, you build an online application and you submit it. All you got to do is put that in a table and do quick searches of, okay, who qualifies here? Who qualifies right. here? You know, exactly. You build a list. It's, it's not, does not require AI for that. You know, so I mean, it's just it's a spreadsheet. Yeah. <laughs> it's a spreadsheet or some kind of data scraping, you know, now let's say that you are in a business and you get 10,000 resumes for one job, right? So you can't really review them all. And these are some of the problems that have been faced, uh, not recently, but in the past. And then you go through that. So what they do, I know in a lot of cases I've seen hiring where they just go through and take the first maybe 100 in the stack, trash the rest, and then those are the ones that are actually reviewed. Not a fair process, but you know no. where the case would be. So I view that as a secondary questionnaire scenario. You know, you add a questionnaire of like, do this, do this, and then you can screen out a lot of those by having a question that fulfills what explicitly you need for that position. Right, right. So what you're saying is there's a way to solve this problem that a lot of employers don't do. Yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so, 
Anyway, uh, temp work is still definitely something that's out there, especially in the technology industry. But our guest today is an individual. His company is kind of taking to this to the next level. And, you know, we've been talking about AI and stuff in kind of a negative light. This is a much more positive thing because a lot of companies, especially smaller ones, are dealing with situations where they might not be able to afford a position like a chief project officer or chief technology officer. To get someone that's experienced, these things can be a couple hundred thousands a year. And then if you're a Fortune 500, that's fine. But if you're a startup, it's not. And what his offerings are here is, is something that actually does address and solve that problem and make it affordable. So he's going to talk to us a little bit about what this is and how to work with it. So let's go ahead and jump right in. Joining me now is our guest, Ram Prasad. Ram, welcome to the show. Thank you, Bill. I appreciate that. Inter- I appreciate that. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. So I was looking at your website and I have an idea of what you're going to talk about and it's something pretty cool. So I'm not going to take any further time here. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing? Sure. So I'm Ram Prasad. Uh, I'm the CEO of Delens, where we provide fractional CTO and fractional CPO services to startups and small businesses. Okay, what, so I understand. What is that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was going to go to that next. So um, what it is is there are come. Uh, my customers are typically in the range of one million to twenty to thirty million or so, and these clients uh, cannot afford a full time uh, CTO or a CPO. Uh, they, uh, but they have the same challenges and they need the same level of expertise that uh, because the problem that they're experiencing is the same as a billion dollar company. They have problems in execution of technical architecture, technical processes, all of the same challenges and to build a product. So, but, so what we offer is the ability for those companies to access executive level talent who have the depth and breadth of knowledge uh, on a fractional basis so it becomes affordable uh, and we can solve the, their problems at a, at a fractional level. Now, before we started recording today, I know we were talking a little bit, and this is a service that I actually haven't seen before, and I think it's kind of amazing. A lot of our listeners are business owners and very much fall into these categories, myself being very much included with that. For mm-hmm. anybody that doesn't know the acronym, CTO is a chief technology officer and a CPO is a chief products officer. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay. And uh, what, what do these kind of people, let's just start there. If you hired somebody full-time in that position, what would be a real quick job description for each one? So for a chief technology officer, it is typically a 15 to 20 years experience managing large teams of technology teams. And the same thing as CPO, managing large product teams. Uh, large uh, and they have they have, have a breadth of understanding of of the architecture. They have an understanding of process. They they know what it takes to build and execute build a product. Uh, the chief technology officer, uh, but and it's a wide array of knowledge across uh, project in, uh, across software engineering, quality assurance process, product management, professional services across the breadth of uh, the processes that take. It take to build it, so they have depth of experience there. So that's so they know uh, the product. The, the chief product officer is the person who identifies what to build. The chief technology officer is responsible for how to build it. Uh, so together they complement each other 
and successfully build the product. But they typically have 15, 20, 25 years of experience. Uh, uh, they've pro- probably worked as software engineer. They've moved on to manager, director, VP levels. So they have gone through the career path and have uh, you know built a career in in that in either technology or product. So if you were to just go out and hire somebody with that level of expertise, I would assume you're looking at a, a pretty good amount of money in an annual payroll. I would think, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, if you want to get into numbers, anywhere on the low end of one hundred and fifty to two hundred and fifty to three hundred for you know companies of this uh, you know in, in that size. If you go to larger companies, it's large, much larger. Uh, but yeah, that's it's a it's a sizable package that uh, you have to. Uh, and then the, the one thing is the size of the package. The other thing is to identify that talent. Uh, the, 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 uh, that's key as well. Uh, they have to fit in with your culture, with the startup culture. They have options of going into you know companies like the Fang companies, or, or nowadays it's hard to get into. It's they are downsizing, but you know they don't have to get into the Fang companies. There, there are several options for people of this uh, with this background. Uh, it's 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 a uh, it's a skill in high in demand. Um, so you have to and you have to find one that fits into your culture. A lot of people with that kind of background uh, with large companies may not fit into a startup culture, as an example, as well. And then you have to attract that talent. So it's a it's a complicated. It's compensation plus the ability to attract. So when a client comes to your company, how does that work, and what would that look like? Let's say I'm you know I'm looking to fill this position, and you and I might be talking after this interview. Mm-hmm. Um, about that on an actual, but in a hypothetical standpoint, mm-hmm. somebody's out there, they need to fill the role, they can't afford you know, an annual salary like that, plus all of the overhead you just talked about with finding somebody, and that's another whole component. Sure. How do you work with companies and how would, what would something like that look like? So it typically, the, the 90% of the companies reach out to me where I'm a firefighter. They have a current problem. Uh, they, they want they're in most most cases they're not they're either stuck in their product the product is not having additional traction in the market or they have strong customer demand but unable to fulfill the customer demand they, they may have a strong talent in the engineering team but unable to align the processes and technology and requirements to synchronize it and to execute on a product to deliver the product so they, they have a problem. So that's typically when I come in. So the way the engagement typically works is I, my, my customer is typically is a CEO of the company. So I start a conversation with him to understand his problem. Uh, I meet with uh, the, his, his executives, maybe a, a, a chief sales officer, maybe a chief of customer service, uh, if they have one. And in some cases, maybe a director of technology or a director of product could also be in the, in, in the, in the organization. So I'll meet with them to understand their perspective of the problem. Uh, and then, since I'm the firefighter, it has to be extinguished immediately. Is So I roll my sleeves, understand the problem. Every client is, as you can imagine, every customer is different. But, um, but we go in, uh, and that's how we establish credibility. So we go in, uh, address the immediate problem. Uh, I, I, so the, the engagement is typically a few hours a week. It starts off with a, with a, with a, with a deep understanding of the problem, uh, a proposed solution. And then I behave that as though I, I manage the team. I mean, I, I, I treat it as my team. I don't, be, I don't uh, 
feel that I'm exceed I, because I have the go ahead from the CEO to solve the problem. So a lot of cases, it's a maybe the CEO himself without realizing it may be part of the problem. Um, and so you know you manage the CEO in some cases, uh, at least as, as as it pertains to executing the product roadmap. So you get in, get your hands dirty, solve the problem. I mean that's typically how it's how it the first few weeks are, and you because you need to build credibility rapidly, uh, you need to show success immediately. So we define what I do first is I define a small goal. Okay, this is what your problem is. This is phase one of the goal. I define a phase one of what to expect, which is typically two to four weeks away. And then we work on that. We, with the tunnel vision, we, we define what is phase one and focus on that. I mean, this sounds, and I know, again, from personal experience, that filling these kind of roles properly is so extremely important. It's the difference between success and failure. Do you have any stories you or a story maybe you want to tell us about that? I mean, I, I'm sure there's a lot of them out there of just where you kind of come in. And I love the term firefighter, by the way. <laughs> that really does explain what it is that you do. But, but tell us a little bit about some of the successes you've had. Absolutely. So I had, this is, uh, I take on the chief product officer hat or the chief technology officer hat as appropriate. Uh, so this is a story, which is the chief product officer hat. Um, yeah, so I came into a customer who had, uh, who had reached around uh, 6 million in revenues and was stuck at that revenue range um, for the last five years. Uh, they had a very strong engineering team. They had a very strong engineering team uh, building products. So they had around 10 different modules that they had built over the last seven years. So all of these modules were, uh, were, were you know, when you look at the product, it was built right. It had a great user interface. You, you could, when you look at the product in isolation, it's a great product. <laughs> it's a great product. The challenge there was uh, the customer was only paying for one of the modules. They had built the other nine modules Funnily enough, based on customer feedback, the customer said, I want this, I want that, I want A, B, I want this, I want, and they had built all of those things, whatever the customer wanted. They were very good in customer service. They were, they were very customer responsive. So they had built, amazingly enough, nine in the last seven, in seven years, they had built nine additional modules, but the customers were still paying for one module that the company started with. And so they were stuck in the revenue range. There would be some churn, but new customers would also buy the same one module. They could not sell additional modules. So we had to understand uh, why the customers were not buying the module. So we did an extensive interview with around 40 of their customers, uh, understood the real pain points. Uh, so it was a formal customer discovery process that I did to understand where the bottlenecks in their existing workflow was. And when after the after the set of forty interviews, thirty of them complained about a certain aspect of their workflow, and that aspect was not available in any one of these nine other nine modules. So there was a gap in the market that the customers were complaining about, even though, but they did not build it because the questions that they were asking in the customer discovery process did not elicit that kind of response. Uh, so then we built it. And it, it, once we understood what the problem was, 
uh, solution is relatively easy. We we know the problem. The team is very creative. The team oh that that problem can be solved in in a certain fashion. They build a solution to that, and in the last one year they have doubled their revenues. They have purchased a second. Customers are buying their second module. Now I love the story because it takes on every aspect. It, it, it takes on it. it, it uh, the reason, the primary reason I like it is because it doubled the customer's revenue. It there was an impact. The ROI for my dollars was <laughs> was was, impre- was impressive. Was impressive. Uh, and so uh, they needed that level of expertise to understand. Now the the other thing they had, it introduced a competitive differentiator. None of their competitors were seeing the same gap. Right. So it existed. Uh, now the other nine modules that they built that customers asked for these were you know in, in hindsight they were nice to have they were nice to have and they were not willing to pay for it uh, they, so they just, they just, I mean with a few minor few customers were but the, the vast majority was were not willing to pay for the other nine modules so it was just there it was a nice to have but this module that we built newly was uh, needed to have. So that's an example of we come in to solve a, so a product stagnation problem. And they, they were trying to sell their product through sales, through sales efforts, and they were having some measure of success there. But again, all the new customers were also buying just that one module. Now, it seems like there's probably a lot of stories like that, and it's just amazing just to figure out a way to get it right. How does somebody find you online? What's your website, social media, anything like that that you'd like to give us? Sure. The, at, at this time, the easiest way to find me is um, on so on my, one of the ways is the website. If you go to delens.com, D-E-L-E-N-C-E.com, is a contact us button there. Um, so that's, uh, you can contact me that way. You can contact us on LinkedIn. You can there's a, on through my personal LinkedIn or my uh, Twitter. You can DM me on my Twitter. Um, so those are ways you can just search for Ram Prasad Delens on LinkedIn or Twitter. You, you should be able to find me and uh, you can uh, send me an email or DM as well. So those are available ways to contact me. All right, Ram, thank you. Is there anything else you want to tell us? No, I enjoyed being at the show. Uh, Hope uh, hope your hope your listeners can benefit from my services and uh, yeah they can reach out. Uh-huh. Right, well, thank you. It's been a pleasure to have you here today, and uh, we really appreciate it. All righty, thank you. Have a good day. Well, what do you think about that? Being able to fill those positions in a way that you could potentially afford to fill those positions. I think that's a great idea. You know, I mean, not every company needs a full time CPO or that. Um, yeah, and it's. I know too, managing projects and all of this kind of stuff, one of the biggest things, especially like from our end as a technology company, you're dealing with people's businesses and you have to be able to provide not just a good quality product, but good customer service and manage everything in an appropriate way. And some of these projects are expensive. I mean, they're making investments and with everything pretty much now using technology in one way or another, you end up with a situation that if it's not done right, it can actually cost your client, their company. Right. And so va- mm-hmm. having valuable experience from somebody. Exactly. Who- exactly. And a range of experience. This is the other thing I thought that was kind of interesting about this idea is you could bring in, if you had one client that was using one set of, you know, technology and language and all that kind of stuff, 
a chief technology officer or project officer that can manage that. And then if you had somebody else doing something different, you could also get the expertise on that. So it wouldn't even have to just be one person doing both. So it seems like there would be an opportunity there to be able to split things out a little bit too. So, you know, kind of interesting. And the thing of it is, is freelancing and remote work and all of this on a much broader perspective are still very much a part of things. And the online sites where you can hire programmers and all that stuff have been around for a long time and will continue to be. But this is something, this is the first I think I've personally ever heard of filling these kind of positions in a way that actually makes sense. And I think it's kind of cool. This is User-Friendly 2.0. Until next week, keeping you safe on the cutting edge. User-Friendly 2.0 is copyright 2023, User-Friendly Media Group, Inc. All rights reserved. Views expressed on this show are those of the host and not necessarily User-Friendly Media Group, Inc. or this station. Music licensing by VMI. Hosting and technology provided by wearetechnology.com. Listen at theanswerportland.com, userfriendlyshow.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts.